God's Word. We're continuing on through the book of Proverbs. And this morning we'll look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. But we're really going to focus in on verses 5 and 6. But we'll read the entire passage. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path how lost we would be in this world without it. We ask that you will send your spirit to open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word so that we may live according to them and experience the blessings that results from such joyful obedience. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. After God created Adam and Eve, they enjoyed paradise. That is, until the serpent entered the garden. And we read in Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? It would have been wonderful if Eve had responded, actually what God said was, we are free to eat from all the trees in the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we must not eat. From the day that we eat of it, we shall surely die. Get behind me, Satan. It also would have been wonderful if Adam, who was at Eve's side, would have stepped forward and said, get behind us, Satan. You are a hindrance to us, for you do not have in mind the things of God. But of course, none of that happened. Instead, we read in Genesis 3.6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Instead of trusting God, Eve leaned on her own understanding. She saw what she perceived with her eyes, that which delighted her, 
and what she and all her vast knowledge thought would make her wise. Now, if you have memorized any verses from the book of Proverbs, my guess is that you have memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And you have memorized these verses for a good reason. They are very instructive. Uh, they are among the first verses that I ever memorized. And they go like this, in case you don't remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. One commentator said, you should trust in the Lord instead of trusting yourself. One could boil the whole of Proverbs down to this trust. I think we could take it a step further and say you could boil the whole of the Christian life down to this trust. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Eve did the exact opposite. Instead of trusting God and living by faith in what he had said, she trusted what she saw with her eyes. She trusted her own instincts. And isn't that the whole theme of our culture? It surrounds us. Some of you might be familiar with this song by the group Roxette. One line goes like this. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. Before you let him go, listen to your heart. That song on YouTube has over 426 million views. It is the soundtrack of our culture. For an earlier generation, the soundtrack of their culture, maybe your culture perhaps, was Frank Sinatra's My Way. Some of you know how that goes, right? I did it my way. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> I actually heard that song played at a funeral. I thought it was terribly sad to come to the end of your life and have Frank Sinatra singing, and through it all, I did it my way, rather than God's way. The battle of the Christian life is, am I going to do it my way? Am I going to trust myself, or am I going to do it God's way? So whether we're talking about marriage, dating life, courtship if you prefer, friendships, finances, entertainment standards, responses to trials, the question is going to be, are we going to trust God or are we going to trust our own instincts? The question is always, are you going to listen to your hearts and do it your way or are you going to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding? This morning, I'd like us to look at Proverbs 3.5. Uh, this verse is probably very familiar, but I'd like to break it down into four points if you're taking notes. Uh, on the first point, we're going to focus on the word trust. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? And then the second point, we'll focus on in the Lord. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? The third point, what does it mean to trust in the Lord with all your hearts? We'll focus on hearts. And then on the fourth point, We'll focus on trust in the Lord with all your heart. So just a matter of emphasis. So what, what does it mean to trust in the Lord 
with all your, your heart. This Hebrew word trust is descriptive. It means to throw yourself down on the ground because you trust that the ground is going to hold you up. I remember a story about a missionary who was working on translating the Bible into the language of the people, and he was struggling to find just the right word for trust or faith. And he knew it had to be the perfect word. And as he was working on his translation at the Bible, a native of that land came in to the building he, he was at. He was exhausted, and he plopped down on the chair, and he used the word that meant I'm resting completely on this chair and trusting it to uphold me. And the missionary says, ah, that's it. That's my word for faith. Resting completely upon God. Trusting that he will uphold you. My Old Testament professor from seminary, Ray Ortland, put a modern twist on the word. He phrased it this way. It is to do a belly flop on God. <laughs> I like that. You're, you're just throwing your whole weight on God. You're doing a belly flop on God with all our sin and all our failure and all our fears. We stake everything on the gospel promises of God. If God fails, we are damned. If God comes through, we are saved forever. Are you doing that with every area of your life? Are you trusting God, resting upon him to uphold you? That's what it means to trust in the Lord. I was talking to someone just a couple days ago when we were talking about politics, and I said, it gets so heated these days. Every time there's a presidential election, it's like we're voting for a new messiah. <laughs> and I said, we even use those terms to talk about presidential elections. I said, I think we need to remember Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I think one of the reasons why politics gets so heated is we are putting all our confidence in the person who's going to be in the Oval Office. And I want to say, look a little higher, because there is a God seated in the heavens who is sovereign over all. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying we need to be careful about where we are putting our trust. Are we putting our trust in God. This is the second point. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? I think it means at least two things. First of all, it means that we are trusting in his word. We're trusting in his word. This is what we read in Deuteronomy 4, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8. This is a great section. Moses preparing the Israelites for entering into the promised land says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it. It's perfect. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. 
that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? The Israelites were blessed because they had the statutes, the commandments, the rules, the law of God. And Moses is saying even the other nations will realize how blessed you are to have these laws. And part of what it means to trust in the Lord is to trust in his laws, his commands, his teachings, because he knows what is best for God's people. So here's the question I have for you. When was the last time your theology changed because you were studying God's word and you realized, I'm a little off here? When was the last time that happened? That, that should happen from time to time because you're submitting your life to, to God's word. So you might change your view on baptism, eschatology, what, what not. Because all of a sudden you're realizing, well, wait a second, the Bible has something different to say than what I previously believed. I need to readjust my theology here. Here's another question. Maybe this is more pointed. When was the last time you changed a behavior because of God's word? When was the last time you read God's word and you thought, hmm, this convicts me. This rebukes me. God is not pleased with this area of my life. This, this needs to change because I want to please God. And I, and I need to trust in him, which means trusting in his word. It also means this, to trust in the Lord means to trust in his character. We are trusting in a, a person. Most of you will recall that in Genesis 22, the Lord came to Abraham and he said, I want you to take your only son, Isaac, and I want you to go up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him on top of the mountain as a burnt offering to me. And Abraham rose early in the morning in obedience to God. And he placed his son, Isaac, on the altar on top of the wood. He grabbed the knife. He was ready to obey God and pledge it into his son until God stopped him and said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything else to him. For now I know that you fear God. I love that. That was the test. Do you fear me above everything else? God said, now I know that you fear God 
seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God came to me and told me to sacrifice one of my children. I'd really have to think hard and long about going up that mountain. How was Abraham able to do it? We don't have to guess because Hebrews 11, 17 to 19 tells us, by faith or trust Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God told Abraham, all the covenant promises are going to come through Isaac. But at this point, Isaac is not married. He doesn't have any kids. So how can those promises be fulfilled if he dies? And Abraham says it must be that God is going to raise him from the dead. So I will kill him because I know God. God is not a man that he should lie. If God said the promises are going to be fulfilled through Isaac, the promises are going to be fulfilled through Isaac. And he thought that it must be he's going to raise him from the dead. So I will trust him even to raise him from the dead. And the author of Hebrews says, figuratively speaking, he received him back. Abraham had great faith because he knew the character of God. I remember one time I was talking to a co-worker about this, this passage, and he said, if God told me to offer one of my kids, there's no way I would do it. And I just thought, you, you wouldn't do it because you don't have the faith of Abraham. And it's because you don't know God the way Abraham did. But if you knew God the way Abraham did, you would do whatever God called you to do because you would know that he could be trusted. Proverbs 3.7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Sometimes I like to ask these questions when I'm studying about why does, why does Solomon say that? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Ready for a great insight? Because we're wise in our own eyes. We think we know better. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Here's the alternative. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord is not just trembling because of his sovereign power or his holiness it also is trembling before God because of his goodness. God's goodness is a key ingredient in understanding the fear of God that's often overlooked. I love Jeremiah 33, 8, 9. God says, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do before them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity that I provide for it. The nations will tremble because of the goodness of the God of Israel. The goodness of God should cause us 
to tremble. It was great during Thanksgiving. Our oldest son said, I'd like for our family to get together. And he said, I know this is kind of a cliche, but I'd like to just go around the group. There was like 13 or 14 of us. And he said, I'd like, to, I'd like each one of us to say something we're thankful for. And then I'd like us to pray together as a family, popcorn prayer, whoever would like to pray. So we did. We, we went around the group. And there were a few tears here and there. And we were trembling because God has been so good to us that we were trembling before him. Couldn't believe how good God has been. And that causes fear and trembling. I think when Eve walked up to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she stretched out her hand and she, she grabbed the fruits, I think the angelic host that was watching all this were appalled and shocked because they were thinking, God has been nothing but good to you. And you're going to rebel against him? He has done nothing but bless you. How can you rebel against him? Do you not fear God? And in that moment, they didn't. They didn't understand how good God was. And that's important. John Calvin, and I'm paraphrasing, I forget how he says it exactly, but he said something along the lines of, we will never fully commit ourselves to God unless we are convinced of his goodness. We serve a good God. And if you have any doubts about his goodness, I would just encourage you to look at the cross where God was willing to give his one and only son, for us, so that we could be forgiven Amen. and adopted into his family for all eternity. He's, he's a good God. So here's the third point. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I want to focus on the heart here. This, this is obviously important to Solomon. The word heart shows up three times. We see it in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your hearts keep my commandments. Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. And then verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. What does it mean to trust in the Lord with your heart? At the very least, it's talking about internal delight versus external duty. Internal delight versus external duty. Psalm 119, 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I love God's law, his statutes, his rules. You, do you love the commandments of God? Maybe that's a good question to ask. When God says, thou shalt not, you say, yes. Another glorious commandment from God. We should. They're for our good. God knows what he's talking about. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. I hope these are familiar. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
And if you're wondering who ultimately is that blessed man who would meditate on the word of God day and night, it's Jesus Christ. That's, that's how he lived his life. So do we obey God out of delight or is it a, is it a, is it a duty? Uh, this next Tuesday, uh, my wedding anniversary is coming up. Michelle's not here. Uh, 25 years of marriage. Imagine this illustration, and I'm adjusting it from John Piper, so if you're saying it's familiar, that's okay. I'm going to use it myself. But imagine me taking my wife out for our anniversary, and, and actually we did. I did it ahead of time, and we were sitting at the table and having a nice dinner, and then, and I actually did do this. I, I pulled out a present for her. Ah, I have a gift for you. And imagine her saying, oh, you got me a gift. Why did you do that? It's my duty. It's our anniversary. I have to do it. 25 years, I have to do something special. I'm fulfilling all requirements of us. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Because I love you. It's our anniversary. I wanted to get you something that you would really like. It's the same with God. To trust in the Lord with all your heart is because it's a delight to serve God. Not a duty because he has given us the commands, but because we, we love him. That's important. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. I've said before, he'll accept your tithe if you're a grouch, but he, he loves a cheerful giver. And how are we to worship? Psalm 105, 3. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Rejoice. I was a part of a little service this, this last week, and I was up front during the time of worship. I'm, I'm not usually up front, and I, and I could look out and see people worshiping, and I could see that for some, it was a delight. They were rejoicing, and for others, it was like, okay, we have to be here for this occasion. It should be a joy. We're to worship God from, from our heart. We're to trust him from our heart. And then one more, trust in the Lord with all your hearts. And I think most of you know that that means trust in him with the entirety of your being. Reminds us of the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, this is the greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But there's the question. Are we trusting in the Lord with all our hearts so that we would be willing to give everything to him. Randy Elkhorn uh, tells a great story in, in his little book, the, the Treasure Principle. He talks about being on vacation with his family in Egypt. And he says the streets of Cairo were hot and dusty. Pat and Rachel Thurman took us down an alley. We drove past Arabic signs to a gate that opened to a plot of overgrown grass. It was a graveyard for American missionaries. As my family and I followed, Pat pointed to a sun-scorched tombstone that read, William Borden, 
1887 to 1913. Borden, a Yale graduate and heir to great wealth, rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to the Muslims. Refusing even to buy himself a car, Borden gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. And remember, this is back in the early part of the 20th century. And if you're wondering where he got all this money, it was from the Borden Milk Company, in case that name sounded familiar. Randy Alcorn goes on to say, after only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. I dusted off the epitaph on Jordan's grave. After describing his love and sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for Muslim people, the inscription ended with a phrase I've never forgotten. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. I love that. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. He trusted in the Lord with all his hearts and was willing to give everything to God. It was a joy for him to give everything to God. And he did. What's Solomon telling us to do? He's saying, trust in the Lord. Throw yourself completely down on the Lord. Trust in his commandments. Trust his character. Let it be from the heart. Let it be a delight. And do it with everything within you. Do, don't hold anything back from him. Are we doing that? Just letting ourselves go and trusting God. Some of, some of you know in, in youth groups, they, they play what's called the, the trust game. You ever heard of that? You know, you, you stand backwards, and then someone's behind you, like Michael will be behind me. And then, and then you, fall, you fall backwards, and you trust that they're going to catch you. I was going to do it, but I couldn't trust them. <laughs> and they're saying, this, this is how we're supposed to live our lives for God. Simple illustration that we just throw ourselves down completely on God and trust that he has a plan that he will catch us. Living by faith is the only way that you can please God. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Trusting in the Lord, it's, it's the only way that you can please him. If you don't trust in him, he's, he's not pleased. Also, living this way, what it will do, it will let others know that as far as you're concerned, trusting in the Lord is worth it, and you will do it regardless of the cost. This, this morning in my, in my devotions, I, I once, once again read the story of Shadrach, Meshach in Abednego, and it, it never gets tiring. In, in fact, every time I read even a familiar Bible story, I, I enjoy it all the more, and I see it from another angle. But most of you are familiar with the story. It's found in Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this 90-foot-tall gold image, nine feet wide, 
and he tells all the people in his kingdom, now when the flutes play and the other instruments, you all bow down and worship the image. Maybe you've seen pictures of this. You've got this massive statue, and you have this throng of people, thousands upon thousands, bow down, prostrate before this image. And then you have three Hebrew men standing in defiance against the king's orders. And then we read in Daniel 3, 14, Nebuchadnezzar says to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The king was furious. He had them thrown into the furnace, and then he looks in the furnace, and he sees not three, but four men walking in the furnace, and one is like the son of the gods. Jesus Christ was with them, rescued them, and then they were brought out of the furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. That's what we're called to do. We're called to trust in the Lord, our God. And we're called to do it with all our hearts. And we will be given opportunities. It may not be as dramatic as that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But opportunities will come our way. Even in the upcoming week. Maybe just little opportunities where we will know in our minds, am I going to trust God in this situation, this circumstance, or am I going to trust my own understanding? And when we trust God, and when we step out in faith, he is pleased, and many blessings will come our way. But we'll talk about them a little more next week, Lord willing. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word. What a blessing it is to us. Father, we want to pray that as we continue to study your word, you will open our eyes to see what a great and glorious God you are. Help us to see that you are a God worth trusting 
with all our hearts. I pray for each one of us that in the upcoming week, as we are given opportunities to trust you, help us to step forth in faith and even deliberately say, even if it's just in our minds, Lord, I am trusting you in this situation. I know that you can be trusted. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.